So, Daniel. Uh, we're into Daniel chapter 5. And if Daniel were a box series, um, we kind of end of chapter 4, which where Chris led us last week, uh, was really the end of season 1. And it was a very dramatic end, a very kind of visual end. It would have made a great season ending. And what we do today is look at season two, uh, and it starts with an equally dramatic beginning. Uh, quite a time's passed between them, and Belshazzar is now the new ruler of Babylon. So we've said farewell to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so we'll give Nebuchadnezzar a wave. <laughs> okay, and he's gone, he's off the stage, but it's Belshazzar, and it's kind of four kings on. Okay, so that's the best way of thinking of it. And basically, although Belshazzar is in charge of Babylon, actually it's his dad, uh, try and get this right, uh, Nabonidus, there's a name for you, Nabonidus, he was like the king overall. Okay, he was the king overall. He was like, in fact, he called himself, interestingly, the king of kings. But he then uh, asked his son, Belshazzar, who would be reading that today, to be the ruler of Babylon. And the writing is on the wall. We'll call it God's graffiti. So can we read together Daniel chapter 5? Um, we won't read the whole chapter uh, but I encourage you in the week, it would be good to read it all, but I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, actually his ancestor, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron and wood and stone. Suddenly... The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers and diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and will have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, or more likely the queen mother, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she says. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. 
In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind of knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father, the king? brought from Judah. It's all about judgment. Judgment. God acts. God says, enough is enough. There's a a suddenly moment in this whole Daniel story. And I guess we've got to be honest, haven't we? Judgment is not our favourite word. Is it? Just checking. (laughs) It it doesn't list the, you know, they they do it these days, don't you? The most popular word of 2020, whatever it is, is. I I did a quick check on it. Do you know what it is this year? They reckon it's going to be AI. Exactly. What a world we live in, eh? Anyway, but certainly judgment has never hit the top of favourite words. And it is certainly not popular in the society that we live in. We live in a world, actually, that, that prizes the opposite. Just live. Do what you want. Do your own thing. Look, don't hurt, hurt anyone. It's fine. And one of the idols of our Western world is tolerance. God forbid that we should challenge anyone's beliefs or opinions. That's the world that we live in. And yet, it's crazy, isn't it, to actually speak against anything... (laughs) is to be judged intolerant, which is inconsistent, and a judgment. Charles Coulson, who many of you will have heard of, uh, famous for the Watergate scandal, but wonderfully came to Christ, says this, our society's obsession with tolerance leads to intolerance. Theologian D.A. Carson says this, contemporary tolerance is intrinsically intolerant. It's blind to its own shortcomings because it erroneously thinks it holds the moral high ground. It cannot be questioned because it's become part of the West's plausibility structure. And yet, we serve a God who judges. We read in Timothy this, that the Lord is the righteous judge. And he's the only one who can judge. 
because he's creator. He made it all. He established it all. And actually, he's the one, as we've been worshipping, with all wisdom, with all knowledge. He is the Holy One. There's no one else like him. So he alone is the one who can bring judgment. And we know this as well. There will be a day when all things will be judged. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in fact, our actual salvation that we've been celebrating about and believe God's been prophetically speaking about rests on the very justice of God. It's in his justice that he declares us saved. The cross is the most profound act of justice that's ever happened. It's also the act of supreme love. And we find those two things married together, the justice of God and the love of God. They belong together. And we've got to hold them together. Just listening to Natalie Williams at the um, recent Jubilee Plus conference that, that we hosted a watch party just the other week. And so helpfully, just as she's speaking about the mercy of God, she says this, we've got to beware of the Jonah syndrome that wants justice and not mercy. Because both belong in the heart of God. Justice and mercy. And if we're honest, as churches, we've not done a very good job on this. So I don't know what, when I just said that word judgment, I don't know what kind of sprang to your mind, but I I think actually the church, I think, has flip-flopped between two things. On one hand, is judgmentalism. And that'd be a caricature, I think, of a lot of folks of the church. It's that place you go to to get judged. But actually, it's not only a view from outside in. (laughs) The reality is it can happen within. We can be judgmental. We can be so concerned about the, the specks in other people's eyes, we forget the plank in our own. Jesus spoke very clearly about that. And we can become a tut-tutting church. In the sense of, tut-tut, that's wrong. But in the other extreme that the church can go to is this, it becomes a church just of Tolerance. It becomes a church where anything goes. It becomes the elastic church. It becomes like, well, we just love each other and, yeah, it will come out in the wash. Either judgmentalism or tolerance, which is, in fact, is allowing in, it's seeping in, as say, the ways of the world or contemporary tolerance is. So we become the anything-goes church. We need to guard our hearts from both extremes. So, how does this story help us? Well, 
Let's look at it. First of all, let's look at the lesson not learned. Okay? Chapter 4, Chris very helpfully left us last week. Chapter 4, it does end with this remarkable encounter. Nebuchadnezzar, after seven years of grazing as an Ammonol, God humbles him, grazing. He comes to his senses and wonderfully humbles himself before God. And he turns from giving glory to self to giving glory to God. And he learns his vital lesson that actually those that all who walk in pride, God is able to humble. That's the end of season one. And that should stir our faith. God can break into the hardest heart, the most proud-filled heart. This should help us in praying for, even for our leaders, saying, God, would you break through? We need this sort of breakthrough into people's lives. But then when we start chapter 5, we get this real crunching of gears, really. Because the glory to God story is rejected. And we find the very opposite playing out. And we know he knew the story. If you were to read on the chapter, we know Belshazzar knew the story, but he doesn't care. And that's a huge challenge to us. What do we know that we ignore? What do we know that we don't take seriously? So there's a big lesson that the king has not learned. But secondly, we we see Daniel. And basically, he is the faithful one. You work out the sums, and other people have done this, helpfully, but it's about 66 years on from his arrival in Babylon. So he arrived about 14-ish, he was a young lad, so now he's at least 80. He's an oldie, a senior, as we so politely call ourselves these days. He no longer has a prominent role. He's not invited to the party. Remember, there's about thousands of nobles and this, that, and the other, and anyone, you know, anyone who's anybody is at the party. Not Daniel. So he's forgotten, almost. It's faded into obscurity, except there's one person who remembers him, the Queen Mother. I just want us to capture this moment in the story, because... We turn from chapter 4 to chapter 5, okay? Like that. We're talking about decades between them. Decades. Sometimes we need to get ourselves into the story and kind of imagine it and think, this is an old guy. And what's he doing? Still walking faithfully with God. Still faithful. He bursts on the scene, you know, as a young guy, but now we still see him serving God, despite changing circumstances, despite once being in prominence, now obscure, rulers have changed, roles have changed, everything's changed around him, but this one thing hasn't changed. He's walking with God.
faithful. Such a constant theme coming through all these preachers in these days of Babylon that God looks for his faithful ones. Those who know their God. Those, as in the prophetic this morning, what we're encouraging, that actually know God loves them and that we can love him. He still walks with God. And we find that description that Paul picked up a couple of weeks ago still applies to him. The spirit of the Holy God is in him. There he is, spirit-filled, faithfully serving God, despite everything. Great challenge. I kind of mused around this uh, quite a bit, actually, and just thought, I, I just wonder if he read, I know in the Thursday morning prayer meeting this last week, which I wasn't able to be at, but I had my spies out. I hear that you read from Psalm 71, and you just wonder whether actually Daniel would have referred to the Psalms. Where we read this, Since my youth, God, you've taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I'm old and grey, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Or it may be, it was, it, it was in Isaiah, fascinatingly, that if you read Isaiah, I think it's 47, no, 46, which actually speaks about the doom of Babylon in the midst of Isaiah prophesying about Babylon falling apart and being doomed and about all the gods kind of being doomed as well. It's in the midst of that that Isaiah prophesied about you whom I've upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. You see, Daniel was faithful. Why was he faithful? He was being sustained. You see, that verse goes on to say, I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Boy, did that sum up Daniel's life. We've yet to get to one of the big rescue stories. Spoiler alert, that happens in the new year. I will sustain you. What a powerful word. Whatever age, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever is happening in your life, right now, right this moment, God will sustain will hold you, sustain you. That's why Daniel could be faithful. Because he knew the faithful one. He sustains. And that shines throughout this story. The faithful one. And then we get to the feast. He throws a, a blanket, I was going to say blanket. No, a banquet, not a blanket. Um, he throws a banquet. They were kind of big features in Babylon life. And in fact, feasts, they happened throughout the whole Bible story. Right away, Old Testament, New Testament, you read about all sorts of feasts. You read about good feasts, you read about bad feasts. This was one of the bad ones. Okay? And this was a scene which a film producer at Hollywood would have gone wild over. You had it all there. 
the wine was flowing, you had the concubines, it would have been X-rated, okay? But a bizarre scene. The film producer had been zooming in on this scene, really of a orgy-like dimensions, okay? So that's one scene. If it had panned out, you'd have seen the armies camped around the city that were ready to take it. Judgment was just there. Powerful image. And they feast. And Belshazzar orders something. Get those vessels. Get those vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took. We read about that right at the beginning of the story. I don't know what's been happening to them. Might have just been in storage. Who knows? But they've been taken from the temple. And now let's use them. Let's toast the gods of iron, gold, Silver, wood. Let's indulge ourselves with the very things that God has ordained. Such a powerful image for today. Yeah, if we talk about sex and sexuality, something happened in the 1960s. Not Obviously, it happened generations before that, but something became a popular movement in the 1960s that took all of that which had been ordained by God and just moved it into Babylon. It happened. What's happened since then is this. It's not just those values have been repositioned. Now they've been indulged. Now they've been worshipped. Now they've been like these vessels. They've been, they're, being, they're being abused. The days we live in. And then suddenly, God breaks in. A hand appears, and there's writing on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Read that later on in the chapter. Mene, God had numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Your days are numbered. You are found wanting. God will judge. He will act. The whole thing is about value, actually. Things being weighed. Enough is enough. I could end there. And I think that's a challenge to all of our hearts, actually. I think it's a challenge to our own heart in terms of 
Are there things we're tolerating? What are our values? What are the things we prize? What are we doing with the things that God has ordained? Have we allowed Babylon to seep in? We could stop there with that challenge, but I just want to take us into the pages of the New Testament where we see another occasion when the hand of God is writing. A woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. And the Pharisees, the judgmental ones, they pulled this lady out. She was caught. They pulled her out and they set her before Jesus. And he just bows down. And he writes again. The hand of God is writing. This time we don't know what he's writing. But he's writing. In the dust. And they're looking for Jesus to bring the judgment. This woman should have been stoned. They wanted to trap him with their judgmental attitude. He straightens up. And he says this, let anyone without sin be the one to throw the first stone. And the Bible says this, one by one they left. And it's just him and the lady. And he says, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? And they've gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. That is a perfect moment. He doesn't ignore sin. He forgives. But neither is there tolerance. This is the hand of Jesus writing. And then it was after that that actually Jesus introduced his own feast a very different feast. A feast that we'll be sharing in just in the moment. When he took in his hands bread and broke it. He took in his hand a cup. And as he did that, he did that knowing that those hands, those hands that had written in the dust, those hands that to rightfully a pronounced judgment, it was going to be those hands that would be nailed to the cross. It would be those hands that would be pinned to the cross and would have bled. And as he died, as his body hung from those hands, that he took the very judgment that we deserved on himself. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. Love and mercy, mercy and judgment were perfectly fulfilled as he took our sin. 
You see, the reality is this. The writing on the wall is there for us all. We're all accountable to God. We've all abused what he's given. But actually, the same, as it were, (laughs) instead of accusation now, we're those who can say there's now no condemnation because of what he suffered on the cross for us. That's why the judgments of God are to challenge us, but also to release us and free us. And it's good news. I'm going to end, and then we're going to break bread together. I'm going to end by just reading to you those verses from Romans, chapter 3, which is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. But he did this, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, that's where the judgments of God lead us. They first expose our hearts and then they lead us to the cross. And there we find his judgment perfectly satisfied. And there we receive this free gift of salvation, which means I can say, justified. 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 The judgments of God are satisfied. I am now right with him. And I now can be Daniel-like. I can live to serve him in this day and live to tell others of this remarkable message. Because Babylon is doomed. But we have a message of hope and salvation and forgiveness and life. We can see lives transformed by his grace.